Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. What do you do when the life that you had planned is not happening? I think of Michael J. Fox. He never planned to have Parkinson's disease, but it's happened to him. And I think of Magic Johnson, he never planned to have AIDS. And I think of John Lennon, his plan for his life was not to be assassinated on the streets of New York, but it happened. And I think of Beethoven, the great composer who goes deaf, but then composes his masterpiece, the Ninth Symphony, in his head because he could not hear his piano. And then incredibly, he conducts an orchestra playing his masterpiece, even though he cannot hear the music they are playing, even as he waves his arms in the air directing them. If you read biographies as I do, you know that they are largely the story of people's lives who did not happen according to their plans. Because no one, no one always gets their first choices in this life. The list of people is long. Susie and I are on that list. And I'll bet all of you in one way or another are on that list as well. The things you planned for your life that have not happened. I doubt that you can imagine how many of our plans for life died with our son's suicide. I think it is absolutely fair to say that the life that Susie and I live now is not the life that we planned when we first married. Because John's irreplaceable. What about you? What dreams did you once have that are not happening? What plans did you have for your life that have not happened? Maybe it's your marriage. Uh, You have a good marriage, but it is not quite the marriage you dreamed it would be. There are some disappointments in your relationship, even though it's a good marriage. Some things about your relationship fall short about what you had really planned for marriage. Or maybe you're 40 or 50 years old and you're not where you had planned to be at this point in your life. Or maybe you have cancer or some other disease that threatens to trash the plans you had for life. So what do you do when what you plan for your life is not happening? Or maybe worse, what do you do when some plans now will never happen? They cannot happen. The question we all have to answer is, then is our life ruined? That's why Joseph's biography is so vital for us to absorb. Because 
He is the quintessential story of a person who had plans that looked like they would never happen. Who had plans, but his life looked like it was permanently ruined. In our scripture this morning in Genesis 37, we see Joseph treated as a special son by his father Jacob. And that's the reason for the whole story of the coat of many colors where his other brothers didn't receive such a coat. And we heard about Joseph's dreams. He had dreams for status and power and wealth. But instead, he ends up in a pit and eventually as a slave in Egypt. For years and years, he's a slave. Things go from worse to worse. His plans are not happening. And it looks like his life is permanently ruined. We can learn a lot from Joseph. Because it turns out that in spite of all the things that happened to him, the plans that didn't happen, his life was not ruined. The first thing we learn from Joseph is that pain eventually makes Joseph admit that he is part of the reason his dreams are not coming true. Joseph had plenty of people that he could have blamed, didn't he? He could have blamed his father for being a dysfunctional father. That's what the Bible says. He was an incredibly dysfunctional, dysfunctional father. He could have blamed his brothers, who the Bible say were jealous of his advantages. And they are, after all, the ones who threw him in the pit and sold him as a slave. Joseph had plenty of people to blame for his troubles and for his pain. But in that pit in Israel, beat up and bloody, Joseph heard his brothers talk about what it was like to live with him, to be around him. They sat down for lunch after they had thrown him in the pit and they were discussing his fate, whether it would be death or be sold as a slave. But far more importantly, they talked about what it was like to be in the family with Joseph. What he was like to be around. About how he strutted around in that expensive coat. Can't you just imagine this conversation? about how he laid around at home while they worked hard in the fields, about his aloofness and his gigantic ego that thought he was better than them and therefore he looked down upon them and they resented it. In that pit, for the first time in his life, Joseph listened to what it was like to be around him. And for the first time, he began to see that his attitudes and behavior were part of the problem. One of the best things Joseph's biography teaches us that instead of blaming, and there's always people to blame, consider for a moment that our attitudes and behavior might be part of the problem. We might be contributors. I've learned more from C.S. Lewis than any other author. And one of the most important things that he wrote, in my opinion, is this. 
He wrote, God whispers in our pleasures, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to wake us up. I love that. Pain is God's megaphone to wake us up from our behavioral and moral slumber. He's talking about the usefulness of pain. Have you ever thought about that? The usefulness of pain in your life. As a parent, you've probably known about the usefulness of pain for your children. Giving them a little pain to wake them up. Sometimes pain can be useful to help us to change. That's Joseph. And that's Susie and me. The deepest pain by far, of course, that we have ever experienced is our son's suicide. We found ourselves right there in Joseph's pit for months, struggling with guilt and regrets. We had made mistakes. There are no perfect parents, and we certainly weren't. We had bad days as parents. Sometimes we were tired, and we did things we wish we had not done. And sometimes it was just our sinfulness as human beings surfacing as parents. We were not evil parents. But in our grief, we saw things we had done that we wished to God that we had done better. Pain became God's megaphone to help us do a little self-examination and wake us up. And we did more than ask God for forgiveness. We asked him to transform us, to change us, to improve us. Jim Collins is the guru, a guru in the business world. And a few years ago, he wrote this New York Times bestseller, Good to Great. Uh, this book, many of you have probably read, it's a book that applies not just to the business world, but it applies to all of life, to parenting, to marriage, to just being a Christian. And the first paragraph is worth the price of the book. This is what he writes. Good is the enemy of great. Did you know that? Good is the enemy of great. Few people attain great lives, in large part because it's just so easy to settle for a good life. The vast majority of companies never become great precisely because the vast majority become quite good. And that's their main problem. Good is the enemy of great. That's just profound. So many people grade themselves on the curve. You know, I'm a, as good a husband or good a wife as most people. I'm as good a parent as most. You know, I'm as good a Christian. I'm as good a person as most people. You've just set enormous limitations and possibilities in your life. What could be? Because as long as you settle for good, you'll never become great. 
Good is the enemy of the great. And legions of people limit their life by thinking they are good enough at something like parenting. But Collins is right. Good enough is the enemy of great. So in my pain, I said to God that I did not want to settle just for being a pretty good husband, a pretty good parent. Going forward, I wanted him to make me a great husband to Susie. I wanted him to make me a great parent to my remaining daughter, Jenny. A great grandparent, not just a good grandparent. I want to be a great preacher, not just a good, pretty good preacher, a great leader. I don't want to settle for just being good. I want God to bring greatness into my life and to improve me. How about you? Anyone here been thinking that you are good enough as you are? Are you willing now to change and start to be asking God to make you great as a spouse or as a parent or as a Christian? Michelangelo is one of my favorite people in history. And on the Holy Land trip, we saw some of his masterpieces in Rome. We saw the Pieta, one of the great pieces of sculpture sculpture in the world sculpture in the world and we saw of course the Sistine Chapel was just marvelous but my regret is we didn't get to Florence and to see his greatest masterpiece the David what is so powerful about David is the way the entrance the hall into the rotunda where the David is is set up I have a slide of what it looks like and you see that the David is at the end and then on the side are unfinished sculptures from Michelangelo, intentionally. Let me show you a close-up of one. This uh, and all the other sculptures are called the slaves are the prisoners. They are unfinished deliberately and intentionally. You can just see him trying to break away from the stone. Michelangelo was saying that if you want to be like the power of David and that kind of person, you have to break free from your stone and let God finish the work that he has begun in you. In fact, it's very biblical what he's doing because as a Christian, as a person, we should be struggling to break free of old things in our life. And so Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 is a verse you ought to underline in your Bible because it says there that God, for to us to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wait a minute. I thought I was saved. I don't add works to what God has done for me on the cross. What's this about work out your salvation? Read it carefully. He doesn't say add good works to what God's work has been for you and dying for you on the cross, he says, work out your salvation. It's begun, but there's work left to do. The word for salvation here means wholeness, completeness. And so what this verse is saying, work on becoming complete as a person in Christ. You're not complete yet. 
So we are like Michelangelo's unfinished uh, work. We are the unfinished work of the Holy Spirit who still wants to chisel on us and knock away things in our life so the beauty of what really we are intended to be as people can emerge. And guess what God's chisel is? Pain. Pain is one of his best ways to chisel on us. We are unfinished masterpieces. But pain, like with Joseph and like with Susie and me, can open our eyes to see where we are part of the problem and we are unfinished in terms of God's work on our attitudes and our behavior. What's the unfinished work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you ever thought about that? Are you still pretty judgmental of others? Do you still have pretty big ego and it's hard to admit when you've done anything wrong? Are you not a very good promise keeper? You make promises, but you don't always keep them. You make excuses, but you're not a very good promise keeper. Where in your life is God's work unfinished? The best book I've read in the last five years is a surprising book to me. It's called The Road to Character. And it's written by a New York Times columnist. Uh, and that's a, it's, it's a surprise. A New York Times columnist is writing a book about character and he's a Christian. It is a fantastic book of motivation and helping me to understand what character is. He makes a tremendous uh, uh, distinguishes uh, between uh, what he calls resume virtues and character. There are resume virtues which our culture really values. Those are the things that make you a success in your job or in your business. They make you money, like creativity, like energy, and like uh, skills that you have, whatever your skills are, your education. But that's not the same thing as character. You can have a great resume and not great character. We see that every day on the news. Character, like tenderness and grace towards people and unselfishness and being generous rather than selfish. At the end of the day, everything we treasure in life depends mostly on our character, not our resume. Character. He has an entire chapter in this book on self-examination. Because he says no one develops character without self-examination. And he says few people practice it. And that is one of the reasons why most people do not get better in life. They don't solve problems because they don't do any self-examination as to whether they might be part of the contributor to the problem. He writes about what he calls sometimes being suspicious that we are living wrongly. I love that phrase, sometimes being suspicious about ourselves, because we're such great excuse makers. We're so tricky. We even fool ourselves. 
Instead of blaming his brothers, Joseph developed a healthy suspicion about his behavior and he repented. When's the last time you heard that word? Repented. That means more than to be forgiven. It means to change direction 180 degrees and go God's way instead of the way you were going. It's to behave differently. Get on a different road in life. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Wide is the road that leads to destruction and many walk it. But narrow is the road that leads to abundant life. Repentance is getting off the wide road that most everybody's on. And instead getting on the narrow road, which is doing life God's way and treating people the way God says. Brooks says that repentance in developing character requires self-combat. I like that. Combat with myself against my old ways of thinking, my old ways of being. I've got to go to war against my old self if I'm going to change. That's Joseph in Egypt. It's years of self-combat until he's prepared to receive the blessing that God wants to give him. That he could not be given way back there in Egypt with his big ego and his arrogance. That's one of the best things that Joseph's life teaches us. Self-combat. So that we stop being so much of our own problem. So that we realize what it's like to live with us. And repent and change and get better. Get better. Honestly, are you fighting any wars within you against your old ways? You got any combat going on in your life? Are you willing to have a strong suspicion that maybe what you thought was right is wrong? Secondly, Joseph teaches us, never think your life is permanently ruined because your story is not over yet. Your life can never be permanently ruined. In the pit in Israel and then as a slave in Egypt, Joseph could easily have decided that his life was ruined permanently. After all, the worst had happened to him. His brothers had beaten him up. He'd been sold as a slave. And now he sits in a dungeon. He had done the right thing with Mrs. Potiphar, saying, I won't sleep with you. I'm going to be loyal to Mr. Potiphar, my master. But that didn't matter. He still was thrown into prison. And in prison, he helped the... Uh, the cupbearer of the Pharaoh. And he said, remember me when you get out there. But he forgot about Joseph. You talk about injustice. You talk about unfairness in life. He had it in spades. But he did not blame or become full of self-pity. And when my son committed suicide, I chose not to become bitter or angry and to fall into the negativity of self-pity. I chose not to. Why? Because I had enough problems without adding negativity to the pile. Negativity would have just made it all worse. I didn't want to add that to the pile. Self-pity and bitterness, I'm telling you, is a form of self-abuse. 
It's a form of self-abuse. It's a self-sabotaging choice. Life was not fair to Joseph. One unfair thing happened after another to him. But he did not make the mistake of adding negativity and self-pity to the pile of all of his problems. I think one of the most challenging verses in all of the Bible is in James chapter 1 verse 2. It's on the screens. Consider it pure joy whatever you, whenever you face trials. That word in Greek is the devil's bait. That's what it means. Trials. Consider it joy, that is pain of many kinds. That word trials that is used there is the same word that is used in the Gospels to describe the devil's three temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Pain is the devil's temptation to you. You're being tempted. You're being tempted to self-pity. You're being tempted to blaming. You're being tempted to becoming angry at God. Becoming angry at life. It's the devil's bait. Don't take it. Have you ever thought about that? I'll bet you you know lots of people who've taken the bait and are angry at God and angry at life because they've gone through some pain. A few years ago, a woman who listened to our radio program wanted some help from me, so I saw her in a counseling session, and her story poured out of 24 years of marriage to her husband, who broke her heart by trading her in for a younger model. She told me about how she had sacrificed everything for him. She had wanted children, but he didn't, so she didn't have children. She didn't go to college so she could work and pay his way through college and graduate school. She had given him the best years of her life. And then he betrayed her and walked out on her. And as his story poured out, she looked at me and she... <laughs> I'll never forget this. And don't tell me to forgive him. He ruined my life. I hate him. Well, I did not tell her that God commands her to forgive her because that wouldn't have helped her at all. What I tried to show her is that God's commands are always for the best for us. And so what I said to her, I said that, I explained to her about the devil's bait. And if you take the devil's bait and become bitter, you'll never be happy again in your life. You'll miss what's maybe possible. But it's your choice, whichever you are. And then I explained to her that God wants you to become like a palm tree. Did you know that palm trees on the beach are the only tree that is not snapped in two by hurricane force winds? Did you know that? Palm trees are built by God so they bend but do not break. And they can bend almost to touch the top of their palm tree to the sand and still not break. And when the hurricane passes, and hurricanes always pass, they don't go on forever. When the hurricanes pass, they snap to straight up. They're still standing. And God wants us to become like palm trees. And the key to doing that is practicing gratitude. It's actually a commandment in Scripture. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 says, in all situations, be thankful. It's a commandment. Did you know if you're not counting your blessings, it's sin? A lot of people don't understand that. He gives us this command to count our blessings every day because that's what makes us able to bend but not break when hard times come. When I was in the midst of my grief over John, I made up a whole bunch of flashcards over several weeks of time about things I still thank God for. I thank God for my wife, and I thank God for Jenny, my great, wonderful daughter. And I eventually, when she met Andrew and married him, I thank God for Andrew, an excellent husband. I thank God for being born in America, not Bangladesh. That's a thing to thank God for. And I thank God for Mozart and Beethoven and for the Bee Gees. <laughs> All these things that were still blessings in my life. John's death was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. But when I made a list of all the things I thank God for, I realized that my life was not ruined. I had a blessed life. Not a ruined life. I had a blessed life despite that. My life is not what I planned it to be. But it's still blessed. Do you do much thanking God for the blessings in your life? Do you practice thanksgiving every day? Count your blessings one by one. Lastly, Joseph teaches us that when a dream turns to dust, vacuum. <laughs> Too many times people won't let go of a dead dream. And if you cling to a dead dream, it's going to take you down. We have to come to terms with what is not and what is in our life. Let go of dead dreams. I struggled for a long time to let go of the plans that were buried with my son. But during that time, I read a story that really helped me. And I want to briefly tell it to you. I hope it helps you. It's about a mother who was shopping for dinner at the grocery store with her four-year-old. And as she pushed her cart down the aisle, picking up food, her little boy had both shoes untied, and he would run down the aisle, step on the shoelaces, and fall flat on his face and cry. Then he'd get right back up, run again, his mother trying to help him, run again, step on his shoelaces, fall again on his face, and cry again. But he'd get up again, run down another aisle, fall flat on his face, and cry again. And she was running after him, trying to get a hold of him to tie his shoelaces. But he was doing what all little kids do. Shove away. No, 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 no. And finally the mother said to her son, Why are you making it so hard for me to help you? And God spoke to me. Mike, why are you making it so hard for God to help you? That's what you do when you refuse to be thankful. That's what you do when you start counting up all the bad things happening into your life instead of the good things. It was by counting my blessings one by one that I realized that my life was blessed 
not ruined. If you think your life is permanently ruined this morning, ask yourself, when did you start thinking God had died? Your story is not over. Joseph in the dungeon could not imagine what God was about to give him. God is good. God is not dead. And that meant Joseph's life was not permanently ruined. And neither is yours or mine. Because no matter what's happened to you, your story is not over. And God is not done blessing your life. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for us, even if we're not in pain at the moment, that we would learn from this message and do some self-examination. Imagine what it's like to live with us. Maybe begin to practice counting our blessings one by one and being really joyful Christians. I pray for people who are hurting that this message might bring a measure of solace for them. That you'd help us, Lord, to bounce back and stand straight and tall again. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of Dr. Mike from Compass Church in Salinas. We hope you're encouraged by his practical Bible-based teaching. 